0: Today on the podcast, we are talking to Chris LaCour. Chris is a retired Army judge advocate who has been on his new job for six months. But Chris, welcome to the podcast and thank you.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Tom. I'm glad to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to to give back a little bit from everything I've gotten from this podcast and from a lot of my mentors.
0: Well, we appreciate your uh, interest in doing this. I sometimes find myself on the ropes when it comes with guests only because Mm. I've had things going on and I'm trying to get ahead of it. So I appreciate you being the first to say, yep, let's do one. So I'm lining three up this week to knock out so I can get through most of July. So should be a good time.
1: It's good stuff, man.
0: So Chris, Army Jag, where did you come from? Where did you go? Sounds like a song, but.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, no cotton-eye joke. So I'm originally from Louisiana, but I was looking forward to getting out of the state, to be honest, and just seeing the world. I had an ROTC scholarship, and then uh, I was all set as a, as a graduate of the University of Alabama to request an ed delay back in 2002. But in 2001, on September 11th, you know, I remember watching the planes hit the Twin Towers and felt You know, I I ended up in the ROTC kind of cadet lounge, and we were all told that we were going to go to war. And I felt, okay. I think I need to put my desire to be a lawyer on hold for a little while and serve my country. And so I did. I deployed to, well, initially I was stationed in Germany as an artilleryman. And then I deployed to Iraq as an artilleryman in 04 to Bakuba as part of 1st Infantry Division. And then after that, I was like, well, I think I did everything I wanted to do right? As a a young lieutenant, there wasn't much left. So I applied for the FLEP program, which is where the army pays for your law school. Interestingly, I interviewed with a Stu Risch, a colonel type, one each in Saddam's palace uh, all those years ago. And now here he is as TJAG, I guess. So it's a small army. But then I never looked back. I went to Colorado for law school, met my wife there, and then really spent the next 15 years, 21 years of total service. But Really mostly between international and operational law, or whatever they call it nowadays, national security law, and criminal law. But found my love in civil litigation, uh, which surprised me more than anybody.
0: How many years did you do as a JAG in the Army then?
1: Oh, man. I think around 15, right? That okay. would be right. Cause it came in Because I, I graduated law school in 08, but didn't really pass the bar until 09. Yeah, so it was 15 years and, good Lord, probably eight or 10 moves, it feels like
0: anyone that looks at your profile, which we'll have a link to in the uh, summary for this, defense, international, general counsel, SJA, litigation, civil litigation, tort litigation, SASA work, criminal defense, and then out. You've done a mixture of litigation then as in addition to the international aspect.
1: Yeah, I think I think that ended up kind of being my path, right? I think everybody sort of generally, I, I don't know, maybe that's different in different branches, but what I found in the army is everybody kind of tends to find their niche, but they bounce out of that. And so mine was really in litigation. And towards the end of it, litigation, it has a weird connotation if I say litigation management, but really what we're talking is the managing of outside counsel for the entity. So, you know, the army, it was lit the litigation division. They are sort of the agency counsel or in-house counsel for for the army and then our outside counsel for sorry, their outside counsel uh, was DOJ. So I was really fortunate to work with DOJ and had some great mentors that were willing to bring me on as a special assistant United States attorney. And I tried some, I tried a couple of complex medical, I should say I was litigated, not tried, almost tried, but litigated some complex medical malpractice defense for the army and, and some premises liability and a lot of auto. It was a fantastic portfolio. And then did a lot of like electronic discovery sort of work, government information practices, so FOIA litigation and TUI requests, federal rules, civil procedure 45 subpoenas. So like a lot of really varied work that I that, that I was I had no idea that A, the Army did it, and then B, that I would ever get to do it, you know, to, to help be on the call with Solicitor General of the United States discussing whether or not we were going to appeal a case and, and what the second order effects of that would be across different circuits. Which, wow. you know, as we were discussing beforehand, is insane because I was a minus C- C-Pro student in, in Colorado. And I just think back to my first year, I, I think it was like Torts and Civ Pro. And I, I was probably four months back from Iraq. And I was like, man, look, I'm going to be an army jag. I'm never going to use these two things. Right. And then if there's ever a guarantee that I'll need to do something, it's by stating out loud and publicly that, that uh, I'll never do it.
0: I still don't recall using algebra much as a grown-up. but So your last posting was in Honolulu, Hawaii. You're back in the States now. How was it going about transitioning from Hawaii other than it's paradise, it's crowded, all that? But mm-hmm. making that jump literally back into the United States, trying to find work from afar. Now, I've talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago, my old deputy who did it from Naples, Italy, but I imagine Hawaii had its own challenges as well.
1: It did, and I, to, to kind of connect the dots, and I'm, I've been pretty transparent about a lot of this. But you know, there was sort of a medical need for my family to come back home. I suffered a medical condition. I had a, a cerebellar stroke in 2019. Which, look, if you have to have one, I mean, it's not a great Yelp review, right? But if you have to have a stroke, I would recommend having one in your cerebellum, only in the sense that you can recover really quickly because there's some sort of extra processing power, and so. That was sort of the beginning of, okay, I think my career is sort of winding down, but we weren't fully committed on retiring yet, I'd expressed an interest in retirement after that just because look it's a hard life in what we do or what we did. You know, I think it takes, and as I'm learning as I've transitioned out, the stress that comes about from being a judge advocate was in some ways more than I knew I was facing. And I, I happy to elaborate on that a little bit. But you know, coming into USAA, I'm going to jump around a little bit. Coming into USAA, I've just had the warmest welcome with my civilian leadership. And I know we'd like to think that we have a kind of a monopoly on leadership in the military, but I'll tell you, the folks that I'm seeing in the civilian world, and especially in this organization, really make me question that in the sense that my first day, my boss my new boss here is an it, you know, AVP, so he's incredibly busy. I have access. I can see his calendar. But he set aside time to really walk me through that initial counseling, and it's different in format, right? It's sure. sort of expectation. Day one, you know, uh, the technology and assistance is there, and I've had a lot of peers reach out to me and say, hey, look, we're really here to help you. They walk me through the system. It has a wiki page that allow, like provides 90% of the answers for what you need. So it's not just it's on the share drive. But the commitment to training and the, and the time frame, another executive was like, yeah, but it'll take you about five years to get really comfortable here. Now, whether or not that's the case, if nothing else, the that there's a long-term goal and that they are okay with me learning. And I realized that, look, as a senior officer in the military, realistically, you just don't have that luxury that you have maybe two months to get up to speed. And like some days you don't have any. I mean, the first day that I showed up in LitDev, As the branch chief. So I went from I promoted to 05 while I was at Army Litigation Division. I was initially kind of a worker bee doing as a general lit attorney. And then I took over the tort portfolio. And I and I had a great person that I was replacing. I was really happy to be there. But our first week, we had a surgical fire that somehow slipped through the cracks. We got hit with a $13 million judgment for lighting an an infant's face on fire and that nobody in the building was tracking. Yeah. So you can imagine that was a significant emotional event in your first week, and, and it didn't really stop, And so, which is great. I mean, there was a, a fantastic challenge and a lot of you stress with that, but you don't realize that that can take a toll on you for a long time. And I think transitioning out to, and maybe it's just USA specific, but I imagine it's probably fairly ubiquitous for, for a lot of large organizations that they actually invest in the training and the time. And so you don't realize that the stress that you carry just coming into a new job in the military, you're doing it every two years. And then on top of that, usually the things that we, it's very rarely just money. In fact, it's almost never money. It's someone's freedom. It's someone's life. It's, it's large scale programs. There's a lot of stress that's attached to that. And I think you just get normalized to it. And because I had a medical condition in 2019, I try to be more aware of it. To get back to your question, I had a second stroke last summer and it was small, which is great. I mean, you know, if you have to have two strokes, I guess, right? I got really lucky to dodge those bullets. I'm flippant about it, but I'm not unaware that the consequences are huge, right? right. That, that it's a potential death sentence that you can have to learn how to speak or walk again. I have some lingering nerve pain and if that's all I have. That's pretty lucky. So there I was in you know, the hospital in 2022 and I called up my boss at the time said, hey man, I just, I can't do this anymore. You know, this is, this is too hard on my family. Thank God I didn't have a stroke when I was on a plane. Thank God I didn't have a stroke in foreign country or driving a car. But I I need to get this under control. And I I need to leave the the service. and I need to get settled. And I need to get my health stabilized. And for all the foibles that the the military can have sometimes, I will say the support that I got from the Army JAG Corps on this was tremendous. It's kind of hard to tell someone that had two strokes no, but they moved a lot of pieces. Right, My replacement had to come early and he took on a tremendous burden. Great as an advancement for him. He came in for what should have been a senior 05 job as a major. So I'm I'm happy for him. But so there I was, you know, HRC said, Great, you can cut your retirement papers. And I'm sitting in Hawaii and I'm like, okay, we know where we're going to end up because my wife's family is here in San Antonio. That was always our deal. But also that there's a there's a you know a tremendous support network for her. Her her brother and sister, her family are here. So if something were to happen to me. She would be taken care of. The kids would be surrounded by family. So it was it was practical consideration. So I launched my family at my own cost to San Antonio and kind of got the, the blessing from the army. But, you know, honestly, I had a lot of pushback initially from transition services. And it's not because of anybody's maliciousness, but it's just because I think if you're outside the norm, you're an outlier and outliers generally default to no. And, you know, I joked that I have this like LLM in military law, which is like a thousand Prussian francs, right? It just, it doesn't have like a lot of application outside, but it did when I had to read the regs to say, hey, listen, you know, I think your interpretation is incorrect. These three regs are all read in conjunction. I am able to do with my battalion commander's approval and like an 06 correction. I think it was General Flynn had to sign off on it. But regardless, it's not particularly complex. There's a paperwork to do it that says, hey, you just, you out process here, you final out. In JBSA, it's an exception for retirement, and you don't have to come back to Hawaii to final out. It took a lot of wrangling, but that's ultimately what happened. Just know that if you're off that path, and I can't imagine what it would be like to look for a job while you're overseas, because most people want you if at a minimum in their time zone. I think the door to work from anywhere is, is sort of closing nowadays. I mean, there there are exceptions, but I would say that it's it's a bigger challenge than I anticipated. So...
0: When you called the army and said, "Listen, I, I need, I need to go. It's time to go."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How fast did you go from flash to bang on saying you wanted out of the army to them getting you out of the army? It sounds like it was a pretty quick turn.
1: It was. I think you know. I think I had already submitted. I can't remember what time I submitted my retirement request because the plan was that Hawaii was our last duty station and you know it was kind of our last hurrah, and this expedited everything. I want to say. I mean, I could look it up, but I think it was a couple weeks. Wow. Uh, yeah, they were they were booking. Now, to get orders, I think I had a stroke in June. I was on a plane in like right at the end of August. And that was to clear and to... Now, mind you, I did my VA here in Texas. I did my final out here in Texas, which is... It's the same story you've had every other time, right? You have to get checks from people you've never met on bases you've never been. You know, I think I cleared the installation property book office here, and I was like, okay, like I've never been to this place. what you afraid like I signed out a Humvee sometime in like 2005? I know <laughs> things are crazy, but like, and you walk in and there's a guy there. He doesn't even check the computer system, right? Just stamps you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all the same story that you've done a thousand times. <laughs> that it's your it's your first time and your tenth time, right? I had somebody tell me like, haven't you done this before? I'm like, it's always my first time. I mean, I can't tell how easy the transition was because it was actually very stressful. It was just extended over a period of time, but yeah. I think. It went better than I could have anticipated, and they were very quick about it. Now, if you don't have a medical issue or if you have like a kind of a critical billet, it, it may be a different story.
0: So get a um, medical issue is what you're saying. Yeah,
1: it's really what I'm saying. Yeah, just uh, well, just document it, right? Yeah. You probably already have one if you're retiring, so just make sure that it's it's uh, it's front and center. But, you know, jokes aside, just know that it is possible, right? Like they, you just read the rag the, you know, at least for the Army, it's the career skills program. I know they're making some changes to it, but I think they're starting to prioritize retirees as well.
0: Your focus was getting from Hawaii to San Antonio, then trying to nail down to follow on career.
1: Yes, that was it. To get here and get settled, integrate with my doctors, because I had a loop recorder implanted cardiac-wise about a week and a half before I flew. So, you wow. know, the idea was to really get that sort of, because they, they still were trying to figure out what was the underlying medical issue, which is still out there but at least the course of treatment stabilized you know what i mean like the chance of i think the chances are very slim of having a recurrence but you know we'll see but yeah so that was the plan was to get settled here as quickly as i could and then to kind of figure out the job portion get my family in school buy a house i mean all of that was sort of a fracas, they say in south louisiana it was an ordeal mm-hmm. to a certain extent
0: so you did that mm-hmm. you got the family settled you bought the house you found the schools all those things that come in with any pcs what did you do? What was your strategy? How did you execute your plan, if you had a plan, on finding that follow-on career? You
1: know, so I had, the past five years, like I said, I had kind of a strange career because there's not a lot of civil litigators in the military services. I mean, I think out of the JAG Corps, there's maybe 25 people that I can think of that have cycled through Lit I don't know how much it is in the Navy or the Air Force. It's just it's a very small percentage. And if you told me years ago that I would have fallen in love with this area and wanted to practice it for forever, I would have, I would have thought you were crazy. Like torts and civil procedure, gross. But something about it really spoke to me. I like the complexity. And so I said, okay, I kind of want to still work on this. I had a, some friend of mine that did plaintiff work and reach out and kind of offer, uh, you know, hey, it might work out here. So that was kind of a I don't want to say it was a backup option, but it was certainly something that I had considered. You know, as I was looking forward was, okay, because there's a lot of money in player's work, and the work is good, and you can kind of set your own hours, and there, there is goodness to it. I don't know if it would have fit me. The thing I was mostly concerned about was managing stress. And I think I can handle a new job, but it's one thing to handle a new job and financial insecurity. And to be honest, your retirement paycheck, it looks great on paper. But once you start chipping away at all the other, I mean, it's the same thing everybody says, right? Like it doesn't go quite as far as you think. So I would have been sort of under a lot of financial stress. And given where I am in my life, that was the thing I sought to avoid as much as I could. I mean, this job has stress too. I don't think you can be a lawyer and not deal with stress. But I think the difference is sort of that, okay, well, how do I become financially stable in a way that I'm not dreading going to work and I'm not dreading the results of a case because that's how I'm going to get paid. It was just a bridge too far for me at the time. Never say never, but, and so I went about, okay, if that's going to be my focus, right? Litigation with sort of a background in either medical malpractice or sort of high level litigation management, what are the jobs out there for that? And the answer is not a lot. You really have to end up kind of on the the website trolling and putting in what I call the cabonculators, right? The online website, resumes, and you're going to get a thousand rejections. And really it's, it's, do you know somebody that can recommend you? Um, I'm living
0: that dream right now, by the way. Yeah,
1: and it is—it's weird. I did actually end up getting multiple job offers in that year. The first four months, I'm just throwing resumes into like the cabonculator. I got one callback for a plaintiffs firm here. They're well-known plaintiffs, for, you know, they're on the billboards and everything else. I got through the interviews. The pay was very lucrative for what it was, and I got to the interview and I, said, why do you guys like working here? And they couldn't give me a straight answer. I realized that, okay, that job, you would end up being the cartilage between the owner and your team. And there was something about it that I said, okay, well, that's not the route that I want to go. So let me start looking in-house. Yeah, I think I have like 26 versions of my resume, some share drive somewhere. I did get a job offer from a global biotech company. And if it wasn't for USA, I would have worked for them. The pay was less than I would have liked initially. But I think the opportunities and the, the work would have been great. And that's one thing that I realized, too, is that my friend describes this transition as an aircraft carrier pivot. It's funny, two Army guys using Navy terms. But, What's up with uh, that? I don't know. I guess it's a big ship turning slowly, right? But, but look, we were joint, right? We were stationed in the Pacific. I've realized that you do have to kind of take a step back and a step down. So even though I, I'm in a position there, I'm a senior lawyer, I think I'm probably close to the Peter principle. I'm as new as you can get. Your, your litigation track, right, as a litigator, if you've done this for your life, you you generally know the way that the case functions, you kind of have a glide path enough. If it's a crim case, you know, you're going to have your preliminary investigation, you're going to have your referral, referral, you're going to have your pretrial motion, you know what I mean, you kind of book it out. So litigation is no different in the sense that you're going to have a complaint, you're going to evaluate jurisdiction. You're going to figure out if it's going to be state or federal. Then you're going to move in for an answer. Then you're going to have your dispositive motions. Then you're going to have your discovery deadlines. You're going to go through discovery. You're going to have your, you know, whatever your initial disclosures. You're going to have your ROGs, your RFPs, all this. You're going to get to your pretrial motions, which probably is going to be 90%. You're going to have mediation somewhere in there. And if you're lucky enough or unlucky enough to get to trial, then you're going to go through that process. You know, whether you're doing a medical malpractice case or a property case or a tort case, it's going to be that same sort of framework, which is great. But, you know, the devil lies in the details, right? So I was lucky in the sense that that the FTCA and the way that we practice in the military, you're kind of used to substantive state law, but you know, for the most part, you can avoid a lot of it. So for me, every day is just waking up, being like, what is this? What is ARAR? How does subrogation and identification work? Really, the part that I'm missing is how does our organization function? Because that's what I brought in to the Army. I mean, the DOJ did all the heavy lifting, right? You hire outside counsel to to become a very narrow litigator. Like you're going to have them litigate the issues. But what you do is you bring that litigation to the organization and you kind of explain. It's the same thing we've been doing for years, right? Whether it's to a general officer or to your staff, it's it's Mm -hmm. explaining the law and sort of. But what I lack is a lot of institutional knowledge and familiarity. So I have to pivot and kind of take that step back. And I think that's going to be consistent for anybody getting out. I mean, I was lucky that I had four years in a niche field and I'm practicing in that niche field. But even then, I still have a lot to learn. And I'm having to kind of almost start over again. And it, it feels great, to be honest. It, it's humbling. It's exciting. It's a tremendous challenge. But the team that I work with is really incredible. And that's what I looked for more than anything else was just the team. It's funny, when I had that elevator pitch that everybody talks about, it, it was kind of thinking about right, what is what is it that I want, want to do in the future? And what does what excites me? And it really is working on a great team and solving complex problems right? For an organization that I like, that I believe in. And I think that was kind of my guiding principle. And so I just started to look for opportunities there. The other thing that was frustrating is that it's like, it's all flash to bang, right? So you're going to have this, let me rephrase that. I don't know, but I had these weird delays. So you apply to a job, you hear nothing in the cabonculator for a month and a month and a half. And all of a sudden, then you're going to, whatever internal black box metrics happened, you're either going to get denied or all of a sudden you're asked for an interview. You know, but a month or two will go on. So I was finding myself having to make decisions saying, OK, well, I don't have any job interviews right now. Let me go for Hiring Our Heroes, which is a fantastic program. I don't know if you've had people on that have done that program in the past. For those of you that don't know what it is, it is a uh, Chamber of Commerce sanctioned sort of internship program for transitioning soldiers and or transitioning service members. And it can be, I mean, they're all over the place, everything from project management to truck driving to Legal jobs, and so you will join a cohort near your base. I joined the San Antonio cohort, even though I was coming from Hawaii. There are people in the Hawaii chapter. You know, every major military installation generally has your hiring our heroes cohort, and then you do resume prep and you kind of prep your individual resume, and then they help you refine it a little bit, and then you submit it into this big massive packet of resumes. And then they take these big packet of resumes to I think five or 600 different, actually I think it's up to like 2,000 different companies, which they say they give it to everybody, really they offer the opportunity for them to download it and then they can kind of go through and, and pick, you know, based on location, employers can pick and then you kind of have like a matching system. So you go through, you submit your resume, you see who's interested, they'll kind of line up for some interviews, you interview them and then sometimes you'll match with the company, and then it's like a little speed dating service almost. But then they'll kind of connect you two together. And some people have a lot of luck and get a bunch of different opportunities. Some have follow-on, some don't. I mean, it varies for every cycle and every cohort. So I, I polished my resume. God, my poor friends had to read it like a thousand times and help me out with it. And then uh, I took whatever you know that version was and submitted it in. And you know, the deadline came and went and nobody called. The other thing you can do is proactively reach out. Like for USAA, if you want to work there, they, they want you to call them. They're not going to call you. And so you attend a briefing and then they'll have separate jobs that are just a hiring our heroes fellow. And so it's very clear. In fact, I think depending on when this gets published, you can probably go on the USA Jobs website and see there are.
0: You'll be uh, published on Saturday.
1: Okay, great. Yeah. So there should still be, I can't ever tell, but there should still be some links that show just for hiring our Hello heroes application. It, you know, if you're interested in that, or if you're, if it's just something to kind of see what that looks like, but they effectively hold those slots open. Some are full-time employment, some are. You can go to a briefing, you'll learn to apply to them and they kind of give you some tips. And so I went to one, there was no legal positions. It was great. It was process owner consultants, a lot of APO stuff, a lot of business process owners, project management sort of work, and then some IT space. And so I looked at these, and I, you know, I probably could like shoehorn my resume into being an, an anti-money laundering investigator or fraud investigator, but I felt very disingenuous doing that. I knew I wanted to practice law. I felt that I was taking an opportunity from another veteran who doesn't have a law degree. It, it didn't feel right for me. So I said, you know what, I'm just I'm not going to apply to any of these, and maybe we'll see what happens in the reconsideration phase. And I stayed in contact with my my Hiring Our Heroes cohort, and she said, this happens a lot. Just know that this kind of works you through the process, and you know we'll we'll explore options afterwards. And so I was kind of thinking about, okay, if I'm not picked up by a company, who do I want to work for? Because I have to take these five months because that's just kind of when I submitted my retirement, I had to book out almost a year. This is when my lead ends. You're you're having to do high-level math and kind of fat fingering about. I think I have enough lead to get me through this date. And so what effectively there was no positions for lawyers in this hiring our heroes cohort or there was a couple, but they were all remote or they it's Amazon. It's it's folks out in Walmart was another fit for me, except that I don't want to move to Bentonville, Arkansas. Uh, and that's going to be required for that organization. Oh, I know you
0: don't want to move to Bentonville because your wife's family and everything you just talked about, but Mike Lucan is a retired Navy Jag. He was my fifth interview. Mike thought the same thing and he's been down at, at Arkansas for years. And he says it is, a fantastic place to live and work. Great company. So, anybody else out there, listen to that. Yeah. Understand that Chris was motivated by his personal situation. Not that he has anything against Arkansas, and you guys should consider Bentonville.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that is true. And and not to, put, I like the people that I met from Walmart. My wife followed me around for 20 years, and so it wouldn't have worked out. But I think you're correct. It's not as if I don't shop at Walmart too. Right. And so I think, but their portfolio matched with what I liked. And so I've heard good things, but, you know, for, for realistically, there wasn't a lot of options. USA was always kind of a choice for me. I mean, I'm an, I've been a member for years. I love the brand. And for having sort of my portfolio, it, it seemed to be a great fit. It's hard to get a job and it's hard to get a job there. You know, a lot of it is you could be the perfect candidate and they just don't have an opening. And depending on where you work, maybe they can slot you in, maybe they can't you're outside of the palm cycle, but you're still very much within a business cycle and there's still business needs and they have to justify it. And there's a lot of internal wrangling about lawyers because we are an expense, right? Like we're not making money. We can stop you from losing money, but it's different. So they reopened, they being USA and several other people said, "Hey, we're having other opportunities. And so I applied in November to some great folks at USA, Christy Leroy, Trent Wilcox and Steve Miller work in this bank. I don't know what it's called now, but it's the Bank Portfolio Management Office. And they're all veterans or veteran supporters. And so they basically say, hey, look, we'll take in people. We can't promise you a follow on employment, but what we will do is we'll get you in this building. We'll network, we'll recommend you for jobs. We'll be your champions as you build relationships inside the organization and and see where you fit and become a known entity. So it's all those things about I think who you know is always kind of a negative connotation, but I think it is what relationships do you have where you're a known quantity for people and that they're excited about bringing you on the team and making sure that you're a fit because they're going to invest time and training with you. And so I did that. I worked in the agile portfolio management space. I was learning how to be, I guess, or learning how to implement scaled agile frameworks. I think it's now up to 6.0. things I'd never dealt with, but I found fascinating, right? And and my law degree still was helpful, and my experiences was still helpful even inside a a more technical field where I was learning. Okay, like where are authoritative documents? How does the governance process work for this? Is it really governance, or is there how are we going and implementing these different initiatives and learning a ton about how businesses function and businesses run? It was a great opportunity, and at the same time, I got it. A- Accepted. I started in January because that's when the cohort is. But I'd already sent in all these applications in like October, and all of a sudden October comes or January comes, and now I'm starting to get job interviews. And so it was this like period of just this dry spell where I had no idea what I was going to do. And all of a sudden now I've got multiple job interviews during the week. I think USAA, I had uh, five separate interviews with nine people. I think with the other biotech company was something like good lord. I think it was like six or five. And it was great. It was a great experience. But then all of a sudden I had two job offers, you know, one from the biotech company and they were great, but it was fully remote. I think that's a hard position to be in nowadays because you you have to be, as my, one of my friends said, there's very few jobs in remoteistan, And I think there is a huge push to go back to the office.
0: I think everything you just mentioned about that non-legal job that you were filling at USAA You learn about the company by being in the Mm -hmm. environment. And I'm applying for a job right now that's 100% remote. Fortunately, the office is here in Arlington. And Mm -hmm. if I would be fortunate enough to get that job, I'm already suffering from a degree of imposter syndrome. I can't imagine trying to figure it all out from this very desk that I'm talking to you to. There's something to be said about being in the office just hearing conversations and listening to people talk about issues or to go over and say, well, tell me what you do and how does this work? Because that's when the light bulbs go on. I think this remoteness for guys and gals starting out is very, very dangerous.
1: I think so too. And I think you're going to find that the pandemic did fundamentally shift the way that we practice law, but it's not in the way that people think. For example, most of our depositions are via Zoom now routine stuff you know your mediations can be done via zoom there's certain there's certain efficiencies that you can find at least in a litigation practice when you've been doing it for years but i think for your your point is exactly right if you're having meetings if you're meeting with peers this is a fine substitute sometimes but i think going into an office three or five days a week really does matter i think that separation matters it matters for my family it matters for i think our family's sanity too And, and so that was a huge consideration the work to do in that biotech company would have been fascinating. I mean, I've never dealt with those particular challenges of contracts and how do you litigate against your, technically your customers if they're not paying. I mean, there's a lot of things that are really interesting that, that I think, look, you know, our broad, broadly skilled assets can really help us weather. A joke now that I come in every day to work and I I'd say that it's like Schrodinger's job, right? Because it's very familiar and it's at the same time, deeply unfamiliar. And I'm sure anybody that's a physics actually studies quantum mechanics would just be appalled by that reference. But you know, it's true. It's like, okay, you've seen the archetype, right? Like we have settlement meetings, and I'm like, oh, I've seen what this looks like because it's a meeting with the general officer, right? And it's they're they're gonna probe your knowledge and and have this opportunity to get comfortable. It's just something we've seen before, but in a way that we necessarily haven't seen it or that you know, I have a lot of cultural adjustments to make. I think the way that we are no nonsense, the military doesn't necessarily translate sometimes. And so what we view as being direct can be taken you know, inappropriately. And so I've read a couple of books, Ego is the Enemy, helped a lot. What's the other one? What got you here won't get you there was really helpful in kind of understanding that transition and to not feel like I had to add instant value. And I think all of that would have been much more difficult if I didn't have face-to-face contacts with people in an office. And I know a lot of times we can just like walk over and talk to somebody. And that's not quite as, it's a possibility in an office. It's not as much as it was in the JAG court because you can always kind of pop in someone's office, but here the meetings are just back-to-back and they're all virtual. So it's a little bit different to get on someone's calendar, but yes, I think that it was, it was a big deal for me. And like you say, it's a big deal for you too, and, and to just be in that environment or the other part, Tom, is that, yeah, you get the job that's remote, but in five or six years or whatever, two or three years, the company decides, hey, hey look, like, we have change in management. Everybody needs to be in the office, right? You need to be with your client. And so you're going to find yourself looking for a new job or you're going to find yourself moving. And I think that's a reality. Uh, we're certainly seeing it in our organization from a move from, hey, you're going to come back into the office three days a week to, hey, I think we're going to move to four days It makes sense. Our organization invests a lot of money in its infrastructure and its IT and its facilities. The the building's gorgeous and feeding its employees, but they need to have folks in there to do do that. I I think that's going to be a shift.
0: I just wanted to build on that point. I just had to do an investigation of where I'm at now. And the discontent of some people having to come back into the office one day a week, Then when they had to come back Mm -hmm. two days a week and there was other things and I won't go in bore you with the details, but I realized in doing this IG investigation that building that is spirit of core is much more difficult. In this case, you had employees showing up after they were in the pandemic and after they were coming out where people want to be at home and you're not Mm -hmm. embracing the suck for eight hours together, five days a week. Let's play nice let's get the job done let's all pull together and it was kind of a realization to me that this is kind of uh this has got another kind of danger that I don't think people think about and people in management leadership positions are going to have to deal with
1: yeah and I think too I mean to be real direct if you started to want to pull their their amount of time on the computer right and what they were doing at home for that time I think it would be a a different story and you know what's funny if it makes you feel any better outside there was a town hall where they were kind of announcing a return to work three days a week. And the level of wailing and gnashing of teeth was probably equal. The people were asking if they'd done an analysis of the costs that would occur to the organization and due to traffic accidents and these sorts of things. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's just sort of a sunk cost, but you, you get it that that people were really sort of not wanting to give up the fully remote work. I think hybrid is fantastic as a, way of really being able to get some quiet and to like clean out your inbox and make sure that you're actually working on tasks, right? Like right. it's not a day that I'm going to collaborate. If you know, we have a day where we all come in, everybody la di di to the office and we have our meetings that day, and, you know, you're able to collaborate in real time. And I think there's a big shift. Not only is there a justification for it, but there's a shift in the business world where I think that's, that's becoming the norm. And uh, as we kind of settle into post pandemic life, at least that's what I've seen. So I was glad I didn't take the fully remote work, even though the team was fantastic. The general counsel was brilliant. It would have been a great place to land because it's the same thing you realize. like It's who you work with that matters and less maybe than what you do. I love showing up to work every day. I'm dealing right now. My team is really patient with me in the sense that some of these folks are carrying dockets that are just astronomical. And and I'm starting off kind of as a newbie, which is funny, right? Like a 20-year... Veteran and a fifteen-year senior attorney, and I'm the newbie, uh, and very much so. But there's no, there's no pejorative to it. It's just, sure. Okay, you need to learn this. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I found that I had to make a lot of decisions based on. It's kind of what Casey said or Case Thomas. You know, that kind of on your gut. But you're gonna. I found that I, because I don't know if my situation is truly universal, but I, I think the meta lesson is it's not going to be as quick or as linear as you think it's going to be, yeah. or as I expected it to be. You know, it's like, well, apply for a job. They'll let you know in a week. And then, yeah. no, no, no. It's going to be you apply on a job and it, maybe you hear something back. Maybe you get ghosted. Like you have no, maybe six months later, they're going to say, we didn't need you. Or maybe even worse that they ghost you. And then they write, Hey, it's open again. You're like, well, what happened there?
0: Yeah. I've had some of those experiences. Everything you just said is true. And I'm also starting to realize it's sort of like dealing with your assignments officer for your next duty station, you get you know, hey, I think I'm perfect for this yeah. job, and that doesn't happen, and so you line up this one, and everything's falling into place, and then well, you know, the leadership changed its mind, and and you just have yeah. to to roll. But in this case, <laughs> the difference is is that one day your paycheck stops, so you have a motivation to find something. So the other thing that I heard you say was directness is not necessarily great things. So I should probably take my leadership tips from Michael Scott on the office to learn how to function in an office setting. I just wrote that down.
1: Yeah, you should definitely. Uh, That'll have zero negative consequences in the corporate space. He's he's clearly not someone that ever, you know, I mean, I'm sure you as, as dealing with IG investigations, it's just like, oh my God, we would be so far. I will say actually though, that there is a lot of it's just a corporate change, you know. I think the things that we as litigators and we as as former army attorneys, or at least I should say I had to change a lot, was you do find that you have, you know, maybe a little bit of a. I found that I have a criminal potty mouth, or did, mm-hmm. you know, some some of the some of the vestiges of, of being a criminal defense attorney that that aren't, you know, it's it's questions about what's is this is is this tool that I've developed as a senior officer or as a a military officer is it still benefiting me in this new culture and you know the things that make you i think an asset to to an organization are things that are really hard to put on a resume you know i joked that i've ever thought like my ability to eat lunch very quickly right whatever like after airborne school and like all this other stuff eating standing up if that would actually come into play and like no it's great right because i have five minutes between two meetings like this is old hat. Uh, But, you know, less of a joke is, okay, I can navigate your computer systems. I can figure out relationships. I can sign myself in. I can figure out how to do all the requisite paperwork. I can try to like learn the organization. I can get, I think there's things we just don't realize that we're able to do. I can quickly read a team. I can quickly like read, you know, I can try to pick up on body language. I think that as I've thought about the military and, you know, everybody's perception is different right it's everybody feeling a blind people feeling an elephant i suppose but you were just expected to go out get it done and sometimes you had to be more direct and sometimes there was no game plan and sometimes you're just winging it but you're gonna make it work you're gonna figure it out and there's no other option right because there's no one in front of you and no one behind you it may not be that way in the corporate world in that there are other people that have figured it out a bunch it's a bit, it, not always. I mean, you're, you're fresh blood, you're a fresh set of eyes, but it's very different. One of the things I was really happy about with the Hiring Our Heroes program is that I went through, but I had to take a month off to go clear towards the end. So not really a month off, shouldn't say it, but I had to stop work because I had reached the maximum amount of CSP. Well, I can't remember what they call it now, but it used to be permissive TDY. It's the exact same thing, except somebody calls it slightly different but you, know, you hit a, a five-month window and then that's it. That's the only amount of time that you can take by statute so or by regulation, I suppose. There's a difference. So I had that month to kind of say, okay, you know, I had gotten hired in the middle of my cohort and my fellowship working at the bank. And in part, because the people in the hiring area, well, there's a bunch of reasons. Number one, I had my general officer, uh, General Thompson, who I asked, Believe the army got me in touch with William Brown, who works at USAA. and William got me in touch with John Fabiani, who was a mentor, and then Greg DeBernard, who was a powerhouse in the enterprise litigation section. So they were they were champions for me inside the organization. So it you know I had a lot of things going for me to get hired at USA. I mean I had still an interview. There was nothing guaranteed about it. But if it wasn't for their support or their internal support or knowing somebody, I think it would have been a very different situation for me. So I think it's all the it's all the same adages, right? Like who you know. Networking. networking. Yeah. And and not only networking now, but but having other people network for you and to help you yeah. and to guide you into a path that you think you'd be good at. And you know, I when I had talks with Gregor Bernard, who was the senior vice president of USA, he's like, Oh, okay. Well, first of all, you know, I said, I want to do enterprise litigation. Said, what do you think that means? Fair question well, I think it means, you know, we represent the interests of the organization kind of as a holistic approach. And he was like, oh yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I gave a better definition and he was kind in his acceptance of my my unknown definition. Mm-hmm. But, but I think, you know, he was a huge advocate. And so I was really happy. My boss in the Hiring Our Heroes program, who was in the organization, was writing letters of recommendation and they were kind of reaching out to the different different interviewees, right? To be like, hey, I think this guy's all right. So there was a lot going on behind the scenes that I was not necessarily privy to, but but I think it was because of that program that allowed me to become a known entity. Yeah. And, but then I was lucky enough to take that month off and then really, you know, I, and I've been talking to some of my friends about the transition because we're all sort of senior level army officers that are retired in various spots. And, and I think the, the next stage is, well, what vestiges of military service will i always keep because they're going to continue being valued to me in this new culture in this new life you know in the second chapter of my life versus the ones that i need to cut because they're no longer serving value like they served value in the military because that was the culture that it was appreciated but if you continue those trends now you're going to find yourself not being as successful as you would as you would like to be and it's because Others aren't going to help you enough, or because you're the way that you're confronting things maybe is off-putting, or that you're not the the idea. What is it? There was actually a rule that I love. My boss said, if someone offers you help here, you take it. And I think it's nice to have a culture where you don't, you get to learn like that, right? Where it's written that hey, you get to not know things, and that when people help you, it's not because they think you're weak, and it's not because they think you're. Incompetent, it's because they want to actually train you. and, and, and there's tons of people in the military who sure. do the same thing, but I don't think that that's ever specified, right? You need to be the problem solver. is your problem?
0: I don't think it's specified. and I, and I tell you, as I look at these jobs, I mean that's a fear is that, okay, mm-hmm. i'm com- I'm applying for a compliance job. I'm making the argument that I've done compliance, which is as we know is a very broad term. What you know somebody said, what kind of compliance do you want to do? I don't know. I want to do compliance. But Mm -hmm. that you are going to be expected at the senior officer, more mature person to be able to step in and be effective. And so it's reassuring to hear that, no, 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 this is going to be just like anywhere else you go in the sense that people are going to be like, hey, let me help you get up to speed. You don't need to drink from the fire hose and become the expert to the commander the next day or the day Mm -hmm. after that. You know, this is no kidding where we are going to teach you. I mean, the. Mm -hmm the interview I did last week with Steven and he talked about, he had a mentor, the guy put him in places and let him take cases for years so that he could learn. Whereas, Mm -hmm. you know, just as you were talking about earlier, it's like, I got a turnover, I got to figure it out. And I got to, I got to make a go of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I went from Thursday, just kind of dealing with, you know, routine FOIA cases to like managing the army's tort program. I mean, with a tremendous amount of help and insight, you know, it's not as if it was alone, but, but ultimately, you're responsible for it, and to be briefing people, and to, and there's stress there. And then, I, I guess because I like to make life more complex, so when I was actually trying, when I was a regional defense counsel out in Hawaii, so I was kind of a senior criminal defense attorney. I was also actively litigating a complex, multi-million-dollar medical malpractice case at the same time, because why not, right? So uh, why not add all that stress on? But but I also knew it was going to be formative in my my future career. And two, I'd also established a relationship with the, you know, the Salsa and the Civil Division out in Hawaii. And so I was really fortunate to to have that opportunity, but whew, <laughs> it was a lot, you know, yeah. so you're, and I, I was fortunate enough to work with excellent captains and majors who didn't need my constant attention, right? I was just there to kind of help lead, which maybe it made me a better leader in the sense that I was too busy to get in their business, but when they didn't need to. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But I also think, you know, Tom, to that point, I mean, I've seen tons of people doing compliance work and it's, you know, you generally get like you, you have experience doing it in a broad sense. So once you learn the specifics, you know, whether it yeah. is privacy law, whether it is FINRA or uh, FINRA is an organization, but, you know, any of the sorts of banking and compliance regulations, there's just a ton out there, you know, reg, who knows what they're up to now. Obviously, this isn't my area of expertise. Yeah, but I think that's right. It's the idea that you know we have this sort of underlying belief that you need to instantly add value to an organization. Sure. Exactly. And the truth is, I think the harder you, yeah, the harder you try, the the less you do. And that's sort of what I realized as I took a breath was like, okay, I, I didn't break anything. I still got the job, but I don't know if that's how you approach it. But then again, I talked to a friend of mine who's a general counsel, general counsel or deputy GC at Molson Coors, and now I think he's like the deputy GC, deputy general counsel at Schlag in illinois or i can't remember what the full corporation is he had the same problem yeah you know it's trying to add value too quickly and well we were here we did this way and so i think it's sort of good to know that it's not limited to us as military officers but it's certainly a challenge
0: i wanted to give you an opportunity if there's anything that you last chance to fire out there before we we Mm. cut off for the day if you don't that's fine but i just wanted to bring the focus just sort of like the end of the show
1: yeah you know i think I, I hadn't planned anything, but as I kind of listen to or as I think about this transition, I would say I think I underestimated the difficulty. And it's the same, I mean, it's all the same meta narratives that you hear, right? Networking yeah. matters. It's about finding your purpose or kind of finding your elevator pitch. Like your resume really doesn't matter. All your resume needs to be is to get people to talk to you, but it doesn't matter because it's going to be a journey. I didn't think it was, I was like, I have a skill set, it's going to be great. I've got all these backup. Man, it's still a journey. And it's, it's one that I would say, don't think that you can just kind of fit in like your last minute CLEs. If you can plan it out, but more importantly, like be kind to yourself, right? Take some time, really sort of understand that like, you can't force this with any amount of effort and that, you know, you do, we have a place in the corporate world. We do, right? We have skills and we have I think we have perspective that will allow us to be an asset to wherever we want to work and to, to the teams that we're going to join. Or if you want to go out solo, you can do it. But it's just it's going to be a bigger transition like, than it is in your mind. And yeah. that's sort of what I realized, not just for you, but for your family and, and staying sane during that process and being kind to yourself, knowing that you will be okay, even if you have to go kind of in the desert for a little while. That's that's wander really great the, advice. learned about the desert.
0: That's really great advice because Chris, I, I I mean, you're absolutely right. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. You're going to have things that you think is a slam dunks that aren't going to happen. It's going to take longer than you thought. And I've been Mm -hmm. talking transitioning with people for a year and a half now. And I thought I'd have it figured out by now. I don't, (laughs) but I do know that I'm going to be okay. Even if I don't, you know, I was hoping to double dip for, for an extended period of time, but even if it's, even if it's I like quit work on uh, you know my last paydays December first and I start work the next day, I know I'm going to be okay. And and I think that your yeah your word there of it is a journey, it is a work, and be kind to yourself is really good parting good parting advice.
1: Well, I hope so. I hope I hope somebody gets some use out of this. You know, as as uh, I got a lot of use out of watching other people break brush uh, into the civilian world. And and of course, if any of your listeners want to reach out. You know, I'm happy to discuss my transition. Probably, they're probably sick of hearing about it after this, but, but uh, you know, if they have any questions, or if they want to run like a resume, or if they want, you know, just hey, how did this work, or how, you know, how did you get a job at USAA? You know, obviously, the answer is well, it only took me five years and a bunch of networking beforehand. But, uh, but there, that's not for everybody. You know, John Fabiani and some of the other folks really have a lot to offer too. So we're always happy to pay it forward. Somebody did it for me. And I know, as everyone, as we kind of transition as a as a disjointed support group, right? I know that that uh, others will do the same in the future. So please reach out if you have any questions or or just want to riff on transition.
0: Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW Fifty Associates LLC production.